Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler here talking the world of money and investing. You know, whatever happens to be in the news, that'll be something I might be talking about. What I think might be on your minds will be things that I'll be talking about, typically driven by, because a lot of times we think about things based on what we're seeing in the news and it brings up questions. And uh, one of the things I saw this week, I know, let me preface this with my view on where we get information about investing. Most of us think about it, we get information about investing, we turn to the financial channels maybe, some of us. Uh, and of course, you'll have the talking heads on there and you go, okay, what's their bias? Well, who do they want to interview? They're going to want to interview CEOs of companies. And you had a, a lot of that with Davos. And you know, there's a lot of people talking about Davos, you know, conspiracies about it and so on and so forth. Uh, uh, I'm not going to necessarily get into that, uh, but the the thing that you're doing is you're talking or hearing from somebody that would love for you to buy their stock or to create demand for their stock, because if they can create demand for their stock, they can drive the company price up or they can keep people off of their back. If they're talking about their company and they're the leader of the company and they would like to keep their job, maybe if they are able to talk about what their strategy is for running the company, then they can get people to not necessarily get on their back about how they're running the company. There's a lot of talk about Disney, as a matter of fact, this week in, in that particular vein. Uh, uh, but um, one of the things that are another place you might get information from, from maybe a mutual fund manager that's being interviewed or maybe an investment person. You know, it was back in the day that you would have these, these companies that do you know, a lot of these organizations that put out magazines would call me and they would say, Hey, what do you think? You know, we want you to come on our, on our show. And I go, Oh, great. Yeah, really. Wow. And you find out that you have to pay to be on their show and you go, Oh, wait a minute. This is <laughs> so basically your article in your tabloid or in your magazine or whatever is just paid advertising for the investing industry. Oh, okay. I kind of see how this stuff works. Uh, and yeah, there's some things that I had done where I had a PR, PR person who would just put me on the TV program. But a lot of times you'd have these TV programs you have to pay to get on there. You know, so it's credibility for the investment advisor to get on TV and not necessarily, uh, not necessarily what it appears to be. You know, so, uh, but you know, it's, it can be worth it if you have a message that's out there and you want to get out there. Hey, you know, there are like uh, radio, the way radio works a lot of the times is that you have advertised, paid advertisements, and you hear that, that the show's brought to you by. Uh, and then you have the ability to sell advertising inside of the slot. Uh, that's how I started, actually. I actually had people that would sponsor the show. And uh, I had a you know, dentist, I had a, a CPA. Uh, I had a home decorator, uh, an interior designer, a restaurant. I had a lot of people that actually sponsored this show. It's how it got started. I was like very, very thankful to these people. But that's how that works. But, you know, what happens, we're getting information from people selling us something quite often. And that is why I 
got away from the sales side of things. You know, so here, what we do is as a registered investment advisor that takes absolutely no commissions whatsoever, is we don't have any investment providers in between. So when I'm giving information, it is based on my research and based on my beliefs and what I believe uh, is to be true. But I always got my information, but I would second guess it and go, well, what's, is this really accurate? Is it, you know, where's the information coming from? Does it make logical sense to me? And that was a big thing, is it make logical sense? Because if there's a logic to it, like for example, when Gene Fama, University of Chicago professor was talking about and teaching and the Gordon growth formula and cost of capital and uh, looking at PE ratios and, and where returns came from, I was able to go, okay, I can put one and one together and it does equal to it makes sense what this guy is saying. You know, so the information that we're getting from the industry being a sales side of things can be a little bit hard to wade through. Well, Fisher is one of these guys that is a, an RIA, uh, you know, full disclosure, we don't use any of his services whatsoever because I just don't believe in what he does or, or how he operates. So we, we uh, I've never chosen to, you know, sign up and work with them at all. Uh, but he has this thing about annuities that he puts out there. And he has actually coined this term, I hate annuities. And he's actually registered the trademark. Uh, I hate annuities. So you may see, if you're going out there and doing a search for something, you may see uh, one of the ads pop up. And especially if you're searching for annuities, you'll see, you know, bam, I hate annuities. Well, I like academics when it comes to getting information because typically they don't have a dog in the fight. But here is an exception, and this I'm not going to talk about who this is or anything that is pitching a fit about Ken Fisher's stance on annuities, but I just want to point out that sometimes you'll have colleges actually run by insurance people. <laughs> and, and you go, okay, what are they going to recommend? What do they think is a good idea? Well, typically they're going to think insurance is a good idea and annuities being an insurance product are a good idea. And it's not that they're always a bad idea, but get the idea that sometimes what will happen is insurance people will go, hey, look at this academic. This professor thinks that insurance is good or that annuities are good. You ought to think that annuities are good. Now, I am in the middle there are times when annuities do make sense. Some people will say, well, Winkler always hates them. He never likes, he, he never has anything good to say about them. No, I think that they're a product that is overused and oversold out there because of the level of commissions that are typically paid on these products. That is the problem that I have with it. I don't have a problem with the concept of an annuity. The concept of an annuity is you put money in and you have a certain life expectancy. They're going to spread the money out over your life expectancy. A pure annuity would be that if you get paid for one year, but you have a 20-year life expectancy and you die after one year, the money's gone because they're taking the risk that you might be living th for 30 years past your life expectancy. So that's the idea behind it. Well, this article basically says this R the RIA famously argues that anything can be done with annuities can be done better with other investment products. And then it says, from an academic perspective, total refusal to recommend an annuity is not the best interest of retirees is the stance of this person, this academic, who works for the company that actually is owned or are run by, excuse me, uh, an insurance company. Uh, the, guy, the guy used to 
be a CEO of one of the big insurance companies. Now it says, Ken Fisher has mounted one of the most successful attacks on single financial product in history. Consumers searching for annuities have seen ads explaining earnestly why retirees shouldn't buy them. He's even registered the trademark. I hate annuities. Uh, no secret, he doesn't like them. And he says, you know, they're a source of many consumer complaints. And the insurance industry has generally done a remarkable job of creating an opening for someone like Fisher to capitalize on negative product perceptions as an honest alternative for retirees uh, or investors seeking retirement advice. He says, on his site, he, he notes that he doesn't sell annuities. Never have, never will. Why? And he says he's fond of saying that he hates them. He says because he believes anything you can do with an annuity can be better done with other investment vehicles. Now, I, I would generally disagree with that, that you can't do what an annuity does because an annuity is an insurance contract. Uh, so I've had situations, and one I like to give as an example was a guy that came to me one day, and he says, you know, I've got um, uh, mom, she has limited amount of money left. She has very, very little left, uh, only like 100000 as I recall, something like that. And she's like 86 years old, and well, what do you think you ought to do? And it would have been incredibly negligent on my part to say, hey, let's go and invest it. Because the reality is, I don't know how much longer she's going to live. She didn't know how much longer she's going to live. Nobody knows how much longer she's going to live. And what happens, let's say if you're that age and you have a five-year life expectancy, then the insurance company is only needing to spread payments out over a five-year period, likely. Now, there's a possibility they might have to go 10, 15. She might live to 96. She might live to 101. We don't know. But let's say that her life expectancy is five years. There are some people her age that are going to be gone a year from then. Now, in her case, if she lives longer, the people that did the same thing that she did, buying an annuity and spreading it out over the rest of her life, the people that died early would be subsidizing her because maybe they only got a payment for one year and they, you know, they had a five-year life expectancy, that leaves four more years of payments to go to her if she lives four years past life expectancy. Very, very much simplifying, but I hope you get the, the idea here. So what happened in that particular case is that when I explained to her the money's gone, when you're gone, she was like, ah, I don't like that. And she said, and I says, well, you can do a certain period, five-year certain, which is, Literally, they're going to pay you uh, for life if you're around for 20 years. But if you're only around for, for two years, they're going to pay you your family an additional three years. You know, so they're going to make sure that certain that there are going to be five years of payments that come out. Now, what, how do they do that? Well, they reduce the payment. I mean, there's 100 pennies in the dollar. They're going to have to reduce the payment. And that's exactly what they do. So what happens with the the contract here is that in this particular case, it just goes for however long she goes. And then if she's gone, it's gone. Now, in this particular case, there, this person writer, this academic is writing about what the benefits are of this. And the benefits, he, he's right. You have something that goes retirement income for life as long as you're around. Now, one of the things that he makes a point about in this article is how profoundly uh, you know, confused they are that people don't actually annuitize. They don't actually like to take this income for life. They don't like to take the risk that they could be disinheriting their children and their grandchildren. 
They don't like losing control. And they're like, well, why? I can't believe this does. It makes no sense. Now, the point that I want to make, I want to take issue with in this particular article, I want to take issue with the number that he uses at the end of the article, because this is what his whole premise is based on. And you may have an, an investment person, an annuity salesperson out there using an article such as this to say, hey, look, even academics believe that this product is always great. It's, it could be really great for you. Not always great, but could be great for you. Uh, he says, you know, if you have, he says, can a fiduciary, that's somebody who has to keep your best interest first, can they with good conscience, he is saying here, can they good with good conscience I'm paraphrasing, tell a 65-year-old to liquidate a product, get rid of it, let's say with a $50,000 contract value. So, you know, you stuck $50,000 in the contract, in the annuity, that would have paid a $5,000 lifetime income benefit. So, you know, 5,000, 10% of the account value which you look at that and go, wow, you know, that's 10%. You can get that every year. And if you're around for 50 years, uh, you know, that's wow. It's huge. I mean, think about it. You get all your money back in 10 years. And this is a 65-year-old, which will quite likely be around for more than to age 75. So you think about it. He's, he's making this point and you go, wow, you know, that, that really does seem pretty compelling, doesn't it? This is a healthy 65-year-old woman who has enough to wealth to meet the Fisher minimum can expect, on average, to live to age 89. So you look at it, they're probably going to live past the age 75 that he's talking about here. The internal rate of return on a policy liquidated for $50,000 at 65 would be 8.8%. So I checked the math. I went to my little calculator and I checked the math. And indeed, he was correct that that was the internal rate of return. But like I said, I don't just stop there. I like to go a little bit beyond and check the math on things because I don't necessarily trust anybody, whether they say that they're a professor or not or, you know, what, whatever. I just don't trust. So I actually went and got quote on a 65-year-old woman. What I found is with the, the top payment, if you did it for life, even if you, if you said, no, I am going to go for broke, I'm going to do it for life. And, you know, if I die in one year, the money's gone. I don't care. I didn't do the five-year certain that I talked about a little bit earlier. The payment was $307 per month. Well, you do the math on that. That's quite a bit less than the $5,000 per year, right? It's a little bit over $3,600 per year. That's a pretty big cry from the amount that he was saying that you would get. The internal rate of return drops down to 5.3%. Now, not bad, right? Not bad. But think about this. When you are in a period of very high inflation or higher than usual inflation, interest rates are higher because that's how interest rates work. There's a very high correlation between the two. Number one. Number two, even with interest rates being high, are they that high? Because you look at you know, 10-year treasuries, and you're looking at about 4%. So this is actually higher than the 4%. And we're not even assuming that the insurance company has to make a profit. So where are they getting the return to be able to give you a 5% return is the question you should be asking yourself. And when you get down to it and say, well, where are they getting it? Well, there is an article written, as a matter of fact, a little bit back, uh, in an annuity, not, not, annuity website 
you know, for uh, you know, if you look, well, where would you not expect an article like this? An annuity website. But this was actually on an annuity website, annuity.org. Is there hidden risk in your annuity company's balance sheet? And they talk about the level of bonds that about um, 62% of investments sold or held by U.S. insurers are bonds. What risks do the bonds hold or what can they hold? Well, reinvestment risk. You know, what if when those bonds mature, they go and invest that money at lower interest rates, but they basically promised you a high interest rate like that? Let's say if interest rates come down, then what happens to the insurance company? Now they've got a problem. If interest rates come down like that and they reinvest the money at lower interest rates, they've got an issue on their hands. What are some of the other things? You know, she, she, we, we look at that and we go, well, they're investing in something else. What else could they be investing in? Well, corporates. Well, what are the problem with corporates? Well, what if corporations go bankrupt and they can't repay their debt? That's a default risk that you're dealing with with bonds. So you got reinvest. And what if interest rates go up? Then you got even you got another problem on your hands. Can you say Silicon Valley Bank, where all of a sudden interest rates went up and all of a sudden bond prices went down, putting the bank at risk. So anytime you see somebody paying a little bit higher than market interest rate or assuming a higher than market interest rate, and you got to be thinking that they've got to get a profit in there. They somehow have to be earning higher interest rates on the money in order to pay the person that end interest rate that I said is in that product that's built into that product. Because I use the life expectancy that, that this professor used in the article. Age 89. And that's what the internal rate of return came at, came out at for a 65-year-old female using Tennessee insurance company. You know, I, I use Tennessee as the, the state of issue. So you look at that and go, well, wait a minute. This could be an issue, right? So, you know, recognize that there, there are times when insurance company products like annuities do something that nothing else will do, but recognize that quite often they are being used as accumulation vehicles, not as distribution vehicles, much to the chagrin of this particular academic who can't figure out why, why would nobody do this? I can't believe that they wouldn't give up the, the right to their money and, and hand it over to the insurance company and disinherit their kids or, or lose control of the ability to actually pull more money out than they want to, than, than the insurance company is going to send them. You know, what if I have a big hit and I need a bunch more money and I want to go in and pull more money out? I can't figure out, I can't figure out why they would not like the idea that they've got this annuity product that pays them the same income every year. And I use the example going back in the 1970s, a $7,000 income, seven to $10,000 income is all you needed as a family to be just fine. Today, try to live on seven to $10,000. It's not going to happen. With an annuity, what you're doing is you're getting that same payment every single year with a regular fixed annuity. You're getting that same payment, unless you have a cost of living rider into it. And if you do, then the payment's way the heck less than what I just gave you right there. Payment's way lower than that because they've got to build in for themselves the ability to increase your payment in the future. They will start at a much lower level than $307 per month as the example that I gave. 
Now, if you missed some of these numbers because you just tuned in, go back and listen to the podcast, paulwinkler.com. Uh, check out the podcast on it because this is important stuff to get. You know, quite often what happens is we will read things like this, we'll hear things like this, and we don't know the numbers behind it. And I feel it is my duty to make you a more informed investor. And I take it seriously. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there. And if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors. And confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.